0: You ever have like, your very favorite place, and it's your favorite place for years, then something just comes in and is just like, sorry, that place is really good, but this is way far superior to that. You ever experience that? Yeah. Okay, I don't really want to, you know, Jesus is king and stuff, com- and stuff, And compared to Moses, I'm bringing up fast food, and we're talking about cookout and our favorite restaurants, but that's the idea, he's not trying to diminish how high, how valuable God's messengers, His angels are. He's not trying to diminish Moses, who it says he was faithful in all God's house. Like we're talking about the, the person who was. You can pick all these different people up in that time. He points out Moses was the one who was faithful. He had the mention of whatsoever. But again, he's telling us this son, this Messiah, this one, this Jesus is far superior to all of them, right? I want to start off, does anyone ever seen this picture before? It's fairly famous. It's of uh, a mother during the Great Depression. As I meditated on this thought about Jesus being high priest, which the sermon's titled, The Faithful High Priest, we've been singing about him being high priest a lot this morning, I thought to myself, we kind of need to, as Jerry even brought up this morning, sometimes remind ourselves why we need a high priest. Um, I started thinking about history, and when you look through history, we see these ebbs and flows of times whenever it seems like certain peoples and certain cultures are doing exceptionally well, and things are going well, and then we see oftentimes where it just comes all crashing down, and we see humanity, all of us, and all of our trying our best, can't quite get it. Like even as late as a hundred years ago, this was after the First World War. All of a sudden, the stock market like quadruples. It starts to boom. People who never have money invest in it, and all of a sudden, they have money. I wouldn't mind being one of those persons. You know? Ah, no, I'm just kidding. You got wealth and you have people that I'm sure are full of greed and going after more money. Maybe people that are like putting their trust in finances rather than God and who knows. Like there's all kinds of different things in the human heart that are taking place in nineteen twenty nine, the stability, this thing that man, was shooting off like a rocket for the last like nine years, ten or something like that, is bottoms out. And you know, we've faced recessions and stuff, but it's nothing like what these folks went through. None of us in here can say that we went through the Great Depression. I don't think none of us are quite that old. Got some that are close, but none of us are quite that old. <laughs> I'm not mentioning names, anything like that. I'm not looking. I'm just looking straight ahead. But not only does the Great um, Depression take place, and I mean all this wealth and all this stability that the U.S. had just comes crashing down, and all over the world. Then we see it followed up by World War II, which is one of the worst things that's ever happened in the history of mankind. Like the, the Holocaust, the millions of Jews. Like, think of like, I mean, you would think that by now, thousands and thousands and thousands of years after being a human, we might figure it out. But within the last hundred years, we're, again, maybe one of the most arguably worst things that, have, that has ever happened in that World War II. And awful. I think hopefully by now, if we look back at history, we might be able to go, shoot, we can't do this on our own. That there might be some humanity brought in for us to go, we need help. But it's not something that's been uncommon. Uh, Man, We've always thought that we could figure it out. We've always thought that mankind, that we we can do this thing. Even knowing who God is, we saw in Exodus, the Israelites still trying to do it, themselves figure it out, getting angry, not trusting, whatever, mumbling. So we get here to Hebrews 14, 4.14 and we consider today what it means that we actually do have someone that can bring hope and help. So Hebrews 4.14 opens up by saying, since then, in my translation, or therefore. Again, remember this is a, a, a case that he's making that's been built up over the last several weeks that we've read, this is all one thought, or several thoughts put in together. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. So, so the first time I read this, uh, as I was prepping for the sermon, I went, what do you mean since then they have such a great high priest? Because if you remember last week's sermon, mostly chapter 4, had to deal with, you can go to the next slide, had to deal with Israel and their disobedience and their lack of belief. You know, when the spies come back with the great fruit in the land, what happens to Israel? They say there's giants in the land, and God says, Go get them, go into the land of promise. And because I didn't believe God, they chose not to. And therefore, wondered. We remember the golden calf that we read about. We probably remember many of the, the mamblers and the grumblers that the Israelites had. Oh, wow, we read about that. and over in Exodus. And so as John's reading, the Hebrew writer, as he preached on last week, and did a great job, the Hebrew writer is pleading with them, don't harden your hearts. I, I wrestled with that this week, too, and I realized, how easy is it to harden your heart? I mean, that's what it kind of naturally does, I think. Whenever you're just without the Lord, when bad things have happened, challenges come into your life, it is so easy. Someone treats you wrong to get, ah, oh, right? And to let that hard get hard. It is tough, especially when our heart continually gets harder, harder, harder to soften it. And as a Hebrew writer saying, yield to walking in obedience to God rather than what Israel did in unbelief and not obedience, right? I think the hard getting heart too is deceiving all the time. Sometimes you don't, we don't realize it's getting harder and harder. And there are certain times in my life where I've stood back and been like, wow, my heart is hard. At least in this place or in that place, like man, I've really gotten bitter or angry or frustrated and I'm not allowing the spirit to do what he wants to do in my life. That he, the Hebrew writer is pleading with him, do not harden your hearts as they did, right? That's what John taught on. I think that that is very important when it comes to what we're talking about today. Because there's going to be a contrast between Israel's disobedience. It's not that Israel didn't obey God, right? There are places where they obeyed God. Sometimes we like to point our fingers as they made all the mistakes. and they, they just did what we would do, right? Let's be real. When i a bad house going, I'm thirsty. I don't have right on two days. What are you doing, bad? Like, do you want a to idea? right here? Like, I, I don't know, I guess some of us might be immune to being like that, but they'd be like, you got us out of all this slavery, you've done all these things, and now we're going to die. Like, great. We'll we have acted just like them, let's be, let's, let's, let's be realistic. But it does, it does paint this idea that this son of God, Israel is referred to as God's son over and over, was diso- constantly struggled with disobedience, constantly struggled with that. And as we're going to read here in a li- pretty soon, there's another Son of God who's come that walked despite sufferings and challenges, just like the Israelites faced, in complete faithfulness to God. Go to the next slide, please. There we go. Before I go any further, I do want to remind us what a high priest is, because we are some thousands of years removed. Uh, any of us, I don't think any of us are Jewish, so, you know, we didn't, you know, that's not our heritage or anything like that to recognize. Do you all remember what the high priest was and what he did? Uh, beginning with Aaron, he was the leader of the priests. Like, this is, this, is, this is the one that, while burnt offerings are going on, while the lamps are needing to be lit, while there's um, the bread that needs to be made, he is overseeing and making sure that all of this goes well. He is one that is responsible for attending to God's presence for the people of God, for the people. He's the one who presents himself before God. You all know what those stones are. Those stones represent the 12 tribes of Israel. He's the one who once a year on Yom Kippur, like on the Day of Atonement, would actually, only once a year, go behind this curtain where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the Jewish people believe that like God's realm and our realm, and also that that day was significant. That time, like that time, all of it comes together and converges into this opportunity to come before the Lord. But the high priest was the only one that could do that, and he would come before the Lord and he would make atonement for the sins of people, and he would represent people, Israel, on behalf of God. If, as we're going to see, the the uh, writer here saying that Jesus is our high priest, I want to pause for a moment and just let us reflect on that. Who would we rather have to present us before the Lord than Jesus, than the Son that's superior, this is what he's saying, superior to the angels? Like, that brings me to a place of humility and thankfulness and confidence, not arrogance but it is Jesus who's coming before the Lord with our names written on him, coming before God as our high priest. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but I do want us to remember this. Uh, This is what the high priest did. Go to the next slide, please. Now, if I was this group of Hebrews, or these people that this Hebrew writer is writing to, and the Hebrew writer says, therefore, you know, he's our great high priest, I would have said, hold up a second. He can't be a high priest. That's not allowed. You say, what are you talking about? Well, whenever we go back to Hebrews chapter one, I'm going to read what he's already, part of his argument is Hebrews chapter one, verse eight, but of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is a scepter of your kingdom. You've loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Listen, the king can't be a priest. It's just, it can't happen. That's not the way it works. In fact, let's just illustrate that by the next slide when we see a clear person, king, who tries to act like a priest. Remember Saul? The Israelites say, hey, God, we want an actual priest person to lead us and be in our military strength and all these things. We need a king, God, and he gives them Saul. In this story, Saul kind of pokes the Philistines a little bit, you know, probably not a great idea, maybe. And they're coming at him in the Israelites. They have all these thousands of chariots and all these things, and as they're making their way and progressing closer and closer and closer, there's no priest around. Saul decides, hey, since there's no priest, and I get the, 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 the thought process. These are things we've probably done. There's no priest. We're about to go to war. We're about for sacrifice. Like, we need to do this before God because we're not going to war without a sacrifice before God. His intentions, teaching I don't know what's are, but they may have been very pure. They may have just been like, hey, we've got to get this done. But when Samuel comes to Saul, who is king, who has offered this burnt offering, because he wanted to say, hey, God, you are the most important part. I want to be king, but you're the most important part of us winning this battle. You think, that sounds great. You think Samuel might say, man, you, you did all right. I mean, you did best you could. Samuel doesn't say that. Samuel says, your kingdom could have been forever, and now it's gone. Like, this is what happens... God has set up a way to do things, and you've been disobedient to that. When the king tries to act as priest, his candle is ripped away from him. So I might look at this and go, what do we mean a priest and a king can do the same thing? Because when Saul tried to do that, he lost his kingdom. But I do think as a sidestep, such an intriguing story for the way that sometimes we talk about God now and day our culture, and sometimes we're like, well, if your intentions were good, it's okay. God knows our hearts. And while there's a lot of truth to God knowing our heart and the purity of our intentions being important, so I was disobedient to God and lost his kingdom. Like, there's a place for us to understand God's will and to desire his will and to walk in accordance to that. Like, if my kids, I was thinking about this morning, when my kids were little, if I told them, do not touch the stove, I've got a gas stove. Don't touch it, don't, you know, uh, use the oven, don't do any of that. If I wake up morning and they're trying to make me breakfast, uh, first I'm like, I appreciate you trying to do that, but if you ever do that again. <laughs> because I understand the danger that that has. If so that I'm so worried by doing things, trying to do things for the Lord the right way, or do things for the Lord. He didn't do it the way God told him because God has His plan. God has has give, had given that command, and he lost his kingdom because of it. But yet, there's this kid who is the son, the very much him who is high priest. And someone might go, "Well, you know what? That doesn't make sense. Like, he well, that's that's can't happen." But then, the Hebrew goes, "Wait a second. There's actually precedence for this." If you go to the next slide. I'm, in the chapter that we're on, I'm kind of popping around a little bit because that's just what we're going to do. He says there's precedence for a priest-king. And it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 14. And y'all remember what happens in Genesis 14? Abraham runs this battle, and then this weird figure comes out of nowhere that we know very little about, and that the Hebrew is going to talk about even more later on. I'm not going to spoil. It's weird sometimes doing Hebrews, because you want to touch on some of this, like high priest and different things, but then he's going to talk about it in more detail, so I don't don't want to spoil John or Greg's sermon or my sermon in the future, so some of these things you just kind of have to touch on and go, we'll go deeper later. But it's a story where he comes back from battle and this King of Salem shows up. And what does it say? King of Salem, priest of the Most High God. The only time in Scripture we're saying this, before here that there is this priest, king. And what does Abraham do? Abraham gives him 10%. What were Israelites commanded to do, being the community and the nation of God, to give a tithe to the temple, to the priest? Who received those tithes? The priest did. So not only do we have declaring that this Melchizedek, this king of Zion, is a priest, we see him acting as a priest. And then we saw this beautiful exchange of them have a meal together, bread and wine, which we can look forward to just meals, to Passover, to the Lord's Supper, incredible stuff. But the Hebrew letter saying, this has happened. In fact, he quotes Psalm 110 in this section that we're reading that talks about Christ being son, but also says, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So he's saying this person... Now, this is, this is weird stuff that's not true, right? Like, he, he says, listen, this Jesus was actually after another order, a priestly king order, the order of Melchizedek. And I'll stop there because there's more that he'll talk about, you know, a little bit later. I'll, I'll stop in the sermon, sorry. I'll stop talking about Melchizedek at this point for that reason. I know, I know. We're getting it, you know. You guys were like, dang, that was like really short today. You know, the next slide. Let's go back to that passage that we're at, 414. If you haven't left, then we'll be right there. I'm going to read again what I read earlier. Since then, we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. I do want to mention that this isn't the first time that he's mentioned high priests. I'll really quickly read this. You don't have to go there. But at the end of chapter two and the beginning of chapter three, to help provide a little bit of context here, he's mentioned this before. This is part of his discussion. For it is clear that he did not come to help angels, remember when we were talking about angels, but the descendants of Abraham. Therefore he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. We're going to really talk about this here in a second in the service of God to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. Remember we talked about the high priest would go in and make sacrifice the the sacrifice of atonement. He's actually saying this Jesus, this Son of God, did the same thing. These are high words. I mean this is big time stuff that he's saying. Because he himself was tested by what he suffered, he's able to help those who are being tested. This is a real important part of the section that we're reading about him knowing what it's like to go through what we go through. Therefore, brothers and sisters, holy partners in a heavenly calling, consider that Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Yet Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. This is where he makes the connection to Jesus's, this high priest's, faithfulness and then talks about Israel's disobedience. Calling us to not harden our hearts, but to follow the same path that Jesus, our high priest, followed in walking in obedience and faithfulness to God. With all of that swearing, he says, we have such a great high priest. But he says something really, also, extremely important, It says that he's passed through the heavens. Now, right in Hebrews, yet again, he's going to go into more details about this. But he says here that when the high priest would go behind the veil and go before the Ark of the Covenant, he says that Jesus actually stepped into God's realm himself. Like, it wasn't at this place where it's heaven and earth is kind of together. He literally stepped in to heaven. And again, he'll talk about that more later on. To, 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 to come before God for us. That's why I just, I just that image, almost uh, is incredible that for us who follow God, Jesus came before the Father to represent us who have faith in him. Man, I don't, that's, it's kind of wrecking me a little bit this week to really think about what do practically do with that? He says the same thing that you know he said a couple other times. He says, "So let us hold fast to our confession." You know, during their day and age, during the time when this letter was written, just like our day and age, there's so many things that can pull us away from the confession that all of us or most of us have made, and the trust that we've put in Jesus. Again, we talked about you know a couple of weeks ago how there's probably the temptation to in their time to go well Jesus maybe he was a great prophet or a great teacher but I don't I, maybe he wasn't the way maybe he wasn't this one maybe he wasn't the anointed one you know there's also all kinds of other religions and gods and different things and different schools of thought going on I think it's like what we have today right there's tons of those thoughts I have I have dear loved friends that have decided that Jesus was a great teacher, but not anything like what this Hebrew writer is saying. The Hebrew writer is saying, you might be tempted to kind of stray away from this, but I am doubling and tripling down on the importance of him. That's what he's doing. Like, he's not just a prophet. We're talking about crazy stuff. Son of God, eternal king, high priest. He says, stay here in this place. Don't swerve from it recognize that this is where we camp, this is where we make our homes, hold fast to your confession. This is truth. In a world that's full of deception, in a world that's full of challenges, you can know one thing is true, that it is Jesus as Messiah, as risen King, and as high priest. And then he says this beautiful thing that he's already mentioned that I read earlier. In verse 15 he says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who is in every respect has been tested as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This grandiose idea of who this Jesus King high priest is, the Hebrew writer wants to let us know that it might make us go, well, you know, that's him. I mean, we're talking about eternal king. We can't touch that. We can't relate to that. I, I, I can't relate to that, right? But he wants to remind us of what he did so that he can understand what it's like. If you go to the next slide. Uh, I'll steal an illustration from N.T. Wright uh, that I read, and I'll probably put my own spin on it a little just because I'm, I don't have it memorized. But again, this illustration of a father-son. Who this father right here owns a multi-billion-dollar company. Um, his son has been going through school, got his bachelor's, just got his MBA, and knows it's time for me to begin the process because my father is going to retire at some point in time. I'm going to take over the company. Uh, I think for many of us, if we were in that scenario, we would probably be dreaming of. Yeah, nice little uh, trips to France or wherever business trips there, uh, fancy dinners, playing golf with, you know, wealthy people, maybe even celebrities, because, I mean, this company's worth billions. Like, we, you know, this is good stuff. He arrives on his first day at work and his father in his, infant, if in his wisdom, instead of saying, hey, here's your high-rise office. We're going to start work. He hands him a mop and says, Hey, listen, uh, Steve is the manager of uh, of the janitorial services for us. I want you to go work there for a month. And then after that, he finishes up his time. He says, Now you going to get to go work customer service and gets to get screwed at and, you know, cussed out and all kinds of stuff, you know, customer service. That can be that's a, that's tough. That's tough. He has to be a man. go join the sales team and go hear people say no, 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 no. And occasionally maybe somebody says yes. But he goes, oh my gosh, what, I, you know, what have I got myself into? He goes, He's part of HR and all these different pieces and parts of the company. But if we relate this to Jesus, this son does it willingly instead of in bitterness. And doesn't go around like most of us. Like oh, I can't believe you would make me do that. I can't believe it. I got my MBA and I'm over here and I'm cleaning toilets. This is dumb. But if this is Jesus, he happily surrendered. And whenever this man, young man, will take over as CEO, he will understand what it's like to be in every situation. Have you ever had an employer? who doesn't even know what it's like to be in your role, like has no idea, or someone that's ab- above you, your managing director or something. I think some of us have probably experienced that before. Or maybe it's been such a long time and the titles have changed so much, you're like, you just don't know what it's like, you know, to be in this role. We don't have a high priest like that. He says that he been, he's traveled the road, like he's had loved ones beheaded. Like we say, God, you don't know what it's like to have one of your dear friends die. And he goes, yes, I know exactly what it's like. You don't know what it's like to have people stab you in the back or to or to to look out, to, to take you down with everything. Yeah, I know exactly what that's like. I understand. He knows what it's like to have people who are sick and be around the sick. He knows what it's like to be with the marginalized and those who are hurting in society. He knows what it's like to uh, just pick whatever. He knows what it's like to be tempted, it says. And in we see... And that in the wilderness is not his only temptation, but we see it clearly. Like he's tempted with power, he's tempted with you know all kinds of things that, that what we've been tempted with, what we've gone through. Like this is really important for us to understand. He has been tempted and gone through the same things. So when we're struggling, what do we need? As it says in verse sixteen, what do we need? Some grace and mercy. You can go to the next slide. The writer says. We can have boldness or confidence to come before Him. Now, I've heard that verse preached arrogantly, in my opinion. <laughs> well, I have confidence. I go this, and you know, you can go before Him and I do this or flippantly. Really. For some reason, this picture I just loved because it made me think of someone who comes in confidence and yet humbly. You know, I know for, for sure with my kids, I hope that they come to me confident, confident in my love and my care for them but I don't want them to be brash and, and arrogant. I don't think that that's the right way to read this, but there is confidence that no matter what we've gone through, what we're going through, the challenges that we have, that he, ap- he knows what it's like. I don't know if I've ever really realized that as much as I have just thinking about that this week. Like, man, there's some junk that I've gone through and to go, man, he knows what it's like to be tempted by that. He knows what it's like to go through that. So I can come before him and go, man, faithful high priest, you know what this is like, and I need help. I need your grace. I need your empowerment to help me get through this, help our family get through this, to help our community get through this. We can cry out for our community and those who are hurting, knowing that Jesus knows what it's like to be in that situation and to be with those types of people. We're not doing anything new. He's been there. He's done that. He knows what it's like. And God, Father, in all of his infinite wisdom, put him in that place so that he can know. Isn't that awesome that our our God did that? That he didn't just skip from creation to high rise to position of being even a high priest or king. That God said, no, he needs to know what it's like. If he's going to be king of these people, he needs to know what it's like to be them. I don't know a lot stories that are like that, that are as beautiful as that. I don't know that we will end this week if you go to the last slide. Um, There's a really interesting piece and um, I'm in chapter 5 now, verse 7. Because we've talked about this other stuff about him being a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And, but says something really interesting Um to kind of put a, maybe a bow, a stamp on this idea that he understands what it's like. He says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who is able to save him from death. He's probably referencing Gethsemane. Like, have you ever just been so broken that you don't know what to do and you're just crying and crying out to God and going, God, I, I don't know. I need help. Our king has done the same thing. He's been in, 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 place, in a place where it says that he sweat like drops of blood, like he was there crying out, God, help. I love that because it means that my tears are okay. <laughs> it means that if I have loud cries to God, he's big enough to take it. But that we can, as he did, come before God with those things. He's not only gone through what we've gone through, he's cried out to God in desperation and in tough times. And uh, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine what that would have been like, to know what was ahead of you. But what's interesting is the Hebrew writer also says he was heard for a reason. And I think that sometimes we have this uh, theology that says God always hears our prayers, Um. Just, there's a million scriptures that I could go to to where it will say, he, I will not listen to your prayers if X, Y, or Z or this or that will happen. And sometimes we have these sayings like God always answers, yes, no, maybe, and stuff like that. And, you know, well, there's some truth to that. Um, there's something that's always kind of, I I just like to be real. You don't have people in your life that get their prayers answered more than you as yes or whatever. And I, I, I don't know we make up these little, we make up sales and things that just kind of, yeah, well, God just must have said no sometimes and stuff, and here God clearly says no, we're not going down that path. It happens. Like, that's, I'm not, I'm not here to preach. Every time we ask him, he's going to say yes and zap, and I am not great, it's going to happen, that's not what I am mean. But that's just, it's almost irritating sometimes, you're like, man, what's the deal? I come kind of from a charismatic background, so I, mean, I don't know if you can relate or do you can't relate, There are folks who will jump around from conference to, conference to conference to conference to teacher to teacher to teacher to book to book to book and hope to find the keys to unlock God answering their prayers. Yeah, like, it's just, and I've seen it all over. Like, you went to this teacher, this person says, hey, you don't have enough faith, this person says, well, you need to pray this way. You need to, come on, you know, you're like, I've got all these things, and like, I don't know, maybe I don't relate, but this is, because mainly almost sometimes where it's just like, we're trying to, but the, the, the heart, it could be good, like if you're trying if you're trying to demonstrate the kingdom and you have a pure heart. It can also be very bad because you're just trying to convince God and take His power for you, like you're you know a magician, Elmaeus, or something crazy like that. But it does bother me sometimes, when I'm like, man, God, I I feel like you want to do more. I, I feel like there's more. Uh, healing and restoration and healing of marriages and people around my life, I know that there's people like I, when I look at Jesus' life and the apostles and uh, the, the the wonders and stuff that accompany them and I just go, man, I think there's more and I've been bothered with that for a long time um, I think here we get I don't, know, I don't like to say there's a key but something very foundational for our prayers being heard and it's it's not a, it's not a simple here's the uh, well, maybe it is simple, but it's not a, here's this quick change that we can make. Just tweak your verse, oh, you just say it like this, say the prayer like this. It says that he has heard because of his reverent submission. We've been talking about Israel and its disobedience and murmuring and complaining. We've also said that there's a faithful high priest that has walked faithful to God. And even while he's crying out with loud cries and tears, God's for the one that could save him from death, God said, "No, this is the plan." He said, "No. If it's, if, take, can you take this cup from me? But what was his response, "But not my will, let yours be done." And I think that there's a deep connection in God in our prayer life, in our submission to His will and our desire for His will to be done, in our walking in His will our day in and day out, and we, we learn that through the scriptures, we learn that through listening together, we learn that we can walk that out every day as we listen and we try and we strive to walk in God, but if our high priest who we've been talking about is the one that we are to be like, that's what a disciple is, they become like their teacher then we have the opportunity to not harden our hearts, as he mentioned last week, but soften them and learn how to submit to God's desires, even when we don't like them. (laughs) There's there's definitely times where I feel drawn to things and I'm just like, man, I just don't really want to do that, God. Or I read the scriptures and I read about hospitality or things wherever I'm just like, you know, I'd rather just kind of be alone with my family, you know. I don't mind being hospitable to those I know. But to those I don't know, that's uncomfortable. Gosh, you know. But he was heard because he was totally yielded to the Father, and I love that about our High Priest. Let's pray, Father. Um, thank you for your wisdom uh, in allowing Jesus or the, to go through what he went through. Um, I bet that was very painful for you at times, and difficult challenging but you knew uh, the plight that we have in humanity you knew the things like the great depression and the holocaust that would come our way you knew all these things and you you wanted to place a king on the throne that understood what it's like to be to go through what we go through and i'm just we're forever thankful jesus we're thankful that we don't represent ourselves before the father i am god i'm so thankful I'm so thankful that you paved and pioneered a way to where you would stand before the Father on our behalf. Um, Help us to yield our lives in reverent submission to to you as you did to the Father. Help us as a church to yield to whatever you call us to do and to do so with joy and gratitude in our hearts. Help us to yield, Lord, even if it's just some things right now that you want us to do in our families that maybe we haven't been leading in the way you would have us lead or headed in that direction that you would uh, help us to be attentive to your voice spirit as you speak and that we would with all of our hearts desire like i love david and who loved your law who talked about it being more desirable than honey who talked about it being perfect God, I just pray that we would recognize that your the things that you desire are perfect. They're not always easy, but they're perfect, and they're what we need, and that we as a family would, would submit to what you call us to, um, and we are excited about the life that will happen from that as we continue to do it and become more intent in continuing to do that even more. In Jesus' name, amen.